We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. MyBookie's got everything. They've got a sports book. They've got a live casino. They've got a race book. Uh, They've got all of their NFL preseason prop bets up. Uh, And they just recently put up the odds for Offensive Player of the Year in the NFL in 2023 and Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL in 2023. And something stood out to me when I was looking at the Defensive Player of the Year odds on my bookie. I started scrolling down the list of 109 players that they have listed with odds to win the Defensive Player of the year. And I was looking for John Allen's name. You know, where does John Allen pop up? Uh, Maybe Deron Payne will be on this list. What are his odds? Now, the favorite is Micah Parsons at plus 650, followed by Miles Garrett at plus 700, TJ Watt at plus 800, and Nick Bosa at plus 1,000. Those are the four favorites, if you will. Micah Parsons, the favorite, followed by Garrett, TJ Watt, and Nick Bosa. Um, I didn't have to get that far down the list before uh, seeing the first Washington Commanders defensive player on this list, and it was Chase Young at plus 5,000. He was the 16th player on a list of 107 players listed with odds to win defensive player of the year. Chase Young was the first Washington defensive player listed on this odds board. John Allen's much further down the list at plus 20,000. So he's 200 to 1. Chase Young is 50 to 1. No other Washington commander defensive player, no Montez Sweat, no Deron Payne, no Cameron Curl um, on the list. Now I thought about it, even though it was surprising when I first saw it, and it makes sense. If you're talking about defensive player of the year, you've got to have somebody like Chase Young on Washington's roster have the best odds because he has the best odds of having a year that would be defensive player of the year worthy. 
He has that kind of talent. Actually followed by Montez Sweat, second. You know, John Allen, Montez Sweat, and Deron Payne's odds to be pro bowlers or to be all pros are probably higher and should be higher than Chase Young's odds. But for a defensive player of the year, you got to be a major havoc wreaker. You got to wreck games consistently the way Nick Bosa and Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons and TJ Watt have the capability of doing. I mean, the first D tackle on this list is Aaron Donald at plus 2,000 or 20 to 1. Um, there are many more pass rushers and even DBs that are on that are on this list than defensive tackles. So it does kind of make sense to a certain uh, degree that Chase Young has basically four times better the odds than John Allen does, even though it's very possible that um, you know he won't produce anything this year. Uh, mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. One guest on the show today, Bobby Marks, who's been working for ESPN uh, as an ESPN NBA front office insider for five or six years now, uh, will be on the show in the next segment to discuss the Bradley Beal trade scenarios and everything related to Bradley Beal and what the Wizards, I think, are attempting to do, which is to trade him. Uh, Bobby Marks coming up in the next uh, segment. But before we get to that, um, I wanted to read this tweet from Josina Anderson, longtime NFL reporter. She put this out last night. Uh, Josina Anderson's had a lot on Washington over the years. I don't have a scorecard on Josina Anderson, how much she's gotten it right and how much she's gotten it wrong. But she tweeted out the following last night, quote, I'm told that the commanders have quietly been making some preliminary inquiries behind the scenes on free agent running back Kareem Hunt, per league source. We'll see if this leads to an opportunity for Hunt with Washington. Closed quote. Uh, I read this last night, and I, you know, immediately thought about the ties with Eric Bieniemy back in Kansas City when Kareem Hunt was drafted by the Chiefs and played for the Chiefs for a couple of years before he got in trouble, and then obviously ended up uh, in Cleveland, uh, where he's, you know, been basically behind Nick Chubb for the last four years. He turns 28 in August. He's a free agent, and there hasn't been a lot of interest. Look, the running backs out there, you know, Fournette's still out there, Zeke's still out there. Um, The running back position obviously has become, um, you know, uh, a a position that's not sought after uh, really uh, anymore. It's become a bit of a commodity position. Saquon Barkley's having the issues trying to get a long-term deal out of the Giants, et cetera. Um, But anyway, um, I just didn't buy it when I read it. Like, they don't need Kareem Hunt. Everything that's been coming out of Ashburn over the last month, OTAs and minicamp, you know, their first real work together, the first real reactions we're getting from Eric Bieniemy, both, you know, on the record and off, is that they love Antonio Gibson, which makes me happy because I love Antonio Gibson as well. I mean, Ron Rivera said recently, 
he can't wait to see the mismatches that Eric Bieniemy's offense creates for Antonio Gibson against opposing defenses. They also have Brian Robinson Jr. They drafted Chris Rodriguez, but Brian Robinson Jr. is going to be the you know the heavy bell cow you know between the tackles guy, and they've got Antonio Gibson. They also have Jonathan Williams, who they've liked, but I don't know what Eric Bieniemy thinks of Jonathan Williams. I just don't think they need Kareem Hunt. He actually didn't look that great last year. Chubb looks great. Um, He played in 17 games last year, all 17 games. He did total close to 700 yards from scrimmage. He also averaged a career low 3.8 yards per carry. You know, one of the reasons they're not re-signing Kareem Hunt in Cleveland is because they believe, I think they believe, that his skill set may be diminishing. Uh, so I don't I just don't see this. I don't see this developing personally. Um, you know, unless Eric Bieniemy just really is super close and really a big time believer and wants to give Hunt a shot if no one else gives Hunt a shot. Maybe that's the opportunity. Shortly before training camp, you know, no one has signed Kareem Hunt. He's hanging out there with nobody, nowhere to go, and, you know, uh, Eric Bieniemy throws him a bone. But I don't think they should be doing that. Look, I, I think this roster, the biggest needs are at quarterback, sorry, um, Uh, offensive line, and to me, if you are really going to look at available free agents that, you know, are still out there because there isn't a lot with respect to the offensive line available, we know they're not making, you know, a quarterback move. But I know I've talked about this before, but to me, a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, um, who's had two really good years back-to-back, I still believe Washington could you know, use a pass-rushing specialist in the event that Chase Young isn't the Chase Young that we're all hoping we'll see. Uh, I know they drafted two players in the fifth and seventh round, but Ngakwe's probably going to get like a one-year, five, six, seven million dollar heavily incentive-based uh, uh, contract. It's not going to be a big deal. I don't think, you know, running back is a need. And by the way, if you really were thinking running back, and I understand Kareem Hunt is going to be a fraction of the cost of Dalvin Cook, but if you really felt you had a need for running back, I'd be looking at Dalvin Cook. Not Kareem Hunt necessarily, but I wouldn't be looking at Dalvin Cook either. I'm not going to spend that kind of money, and maybe Miami will, or maybe someone else will. I just don't think they need a running back. Uh, and I don't think that this will happen. I'm, you know, I could be wrong. Certainly been wrong before. And Josina Anderson again is, you know, a respected NFL reporter. Uh, but that one um, is a surprise, or would be a surprise to me. I just don't see running back as a need at all. I also wanted to get to this hard knocks situation because they're coming down to the finish line on picking the team that's going to appear on HBO's Hard Knocks this summer. And I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday, Tommy and I did, maybe some of you are following this story, but there was actually some reporting yesterday that 
the Lions, who were last summer's Hard Knocks team, that the NFL reached out to them to see if they'd do it for a second consecutive season. Because apparently the NFL is struggling to find a team willing to do it this year. Now, the rules uh, related to participating on this show are pretty easy. Basically, the league can ask anybody they want to be on the show, um, but you can say no, uh, and the league has to accept no if one of the following three criteria apply to your team. Number one, you've got a first-year head coach. Number two, you've been to the playoffs the last two years. Or number three, you've appeared on hard knocks within the past 10 years. If any one of those three apply to your team, you can say no and the league can't force you to do it. Now, there are four teams that don't fit any of those three criteria right now. The four teams are Chicago, the Saints, the Jets, and Washington. So again, they can ask any team, but the four teams that can't say no and have to do it if they're asked to do it are Chicago, New Orleans, the Jets, and Washington. They asked Detroit and for a second straight year, which tells you that of those four teams – They either asked and the four teams didn't want to do it and they didn't want to force the four teams to do it, or perhaps they asked three of the teams and those three teams said they didn't want to do it. Because there has been reporting that Chicago, New Orleans, and the Jets have all said they don't want to do it. The Jets seem the most obvious to me because of Aaron Rodgers. That's probably the team that most NFL fans would love to to watch. Aaron Rodgers, new surrounding. Fans don't care about ownership changes when it's not their own. They care about you know players and coaches and teams. Um, but I wonder whether or not Washington's even been asked because maybe the league's looking at Washington thinking, and I would kind of think this as well, It's kind of awkward to ask Washington while they're going through this ownership change. Remember, we had the reporting from Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal earlier this week that July 20th and August 8th are dates in which the owners are being asked to be available for a potential vote on ratifying Josh Harris as Washington's new owner. Well, if it's August 8th, I mean, that's right in the middle of this hard knock show. Um... But Michael Phillips had some reporting on this. Michael Phillips, Richmond Times Dispatch, Michael Phillips. Uh, and he reported that, um, you know, the league's, you know, struggling to find volunteers to do this. And, you know, he writes, you know, the Bears, Jets, Saints, and Washington are the four teams that can't say no. Uh, and he writes, would Washington have any interest in the show? It depends on who you ask. Coach Ron Rivera has long been opposed to inviting cameras into the team facility. Now, we've seen a lot of cameras, their own cameras, in the team facility here recently with some of the videos that have been produced, like the video, the 21-minute video on the first round of the draft. But apparently, Ron had NFL films shadowing his team in 2018, not for Hard Knocks, but for another show that I think appeared on Showtime. 
And the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Michael Phillips asked Ron about hard knocks back in 2020 when he got the job. And he said, some guys became part of the show instead of focusing on what they had to focus on. So personally, I wouldn't do it again. Um, So Ron, at least a few years ago, was opposed to doing this. However, in Michael Phillips' story, Jason Wright quote on a recent appearance on a podcast, I think it would be great for us because it would give the entire public an opportunity to see the organization that we've become, to see the culture that's been built by Ron and that team, to see the quality of guys we have, to see the phenomenal coaches we have, to highlight Eric Bieniemy and what he brings. I think it could shed a lot of light on new ownership, the way that they're going to lead, the way they're going to engage the community. I actually think there's probably no better fit than us for the preseason hard knocks. Closed quote. So Michael's painting the picture in the Richmond Times-Dispatch of, you know, kind of Ron not wanting it and Jason wanting it. I don't know if Ron doesn't want it anymore, but Ron didn't want it back in 2020. Ron's, you know, gotten pretty chatty here in recent years. Uh, He may want this. He may want the new owners to see, you know, what's going on behind closed doors before they take over the team, you know, on August 8th or August 9th or whatever. Maybe it's before that. Um, But, you know, most coaches don't want this. They don't want it because at minimum it's, you know, it can be disruptive. Maybe not massively disruptive, but... You know, with cameras there and a show going on, you're trying to get ready for a season. Most coaches, most teams do not want this. All right, but at the same time, I can see why Jason Wright, and I'm not being cynical here based on just kind of the idea that Jason Wright wants to, uh, you know, shed light on this incredible organization that they've become. No, it's not that, really. Uh, It might be that. But I would say that anybody, you know, that's tasked with, you know, revenue um, and increasing revenue would probably want this because, you know, they're going to get a big bump out of Dan Snyder selling the team to begin with. But, you know, the editing, you know, typically makes these teams look fun and, ex- and, and exciting and much better than they really are. And so new ticket sales, new corporate sponsors, hey, check out Hard Knocks. Um, so I can see why they may want it. But to me, at the end of the day, I want this to be about football. I think all of you do too. And I also just think, you know, Josh Harris is going to have some big decisions when he comes in as the new owner. And some of those decisions may not be pleasant. I just think it would be awkward. I think it's one of the the reasons Washington hasn't been given it all been given hard knocks already. You know, the other three teams have publicly said no. Uh, I think the league would rather this sale go down. And by the way, everything having to do with a lot of different things involving the league, you know, that may come up. These investigations that are ongoing. Uh, The Dan exit. I don't think the league wants that. So I I don't think Washington's going to get hard knocks. I think they're going to have to either just pick one of the other teams and tell them, sorry, these are the rules you can't say no, or find a team that can say no that wants to say yes. I just think my guess my guess right now is that it's not Washington this summer. And again, I think the biggest draw for the show would be the Jets, not Washington. All right, up next, Bobby Marks talking Bradley Beal right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, joining us on the podcast right now is Bobby Marks. Bobby worked in the NBA for 20 years, uh, last five as an assistant GM in Brooklyn, and he has been an outstanding analyst uh, and NBA front office insider for ESPN now for several years. You can follow Bobby on Twitter at BobbyMarks42. So, um, Let's talk about Bradley Beal. Uh, what's the best the Wizards can hope for uh, in a trade for Bradley Beal? I, I think probably the best is you know a, a combination of probably expiring contracts um, or uh, you know a young player um, you know that's just starting a rookie extension, um, and hopefully you can you can get a, a you know first round pick out of this. I think. Um, you know, it's it's you know, as you, we've you've talked about, it, I'm sure at length. It's just the challenge is moving two hundred six million dollars, two hundred seven million dollars in this economics of a new collective bargaining agreement that makes the rules very strict to go out and be able to do that, and then factor in, of course, the no trade clause, where basically he dictates, um, you know, basically he dictates the terms here. I think the Heat, of course, probably had the best package that anyone can offer as far as if it's centered around Tyler Hero and a first and whatever salary you fill in there here, but I think. You're not getting, you know, you're not getting three number ones and, you know, and, and pick swaps and a boatload of young players here. You're not getting what uh, Utah got for, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert here. So I think realistically, it's, you know, certainly if, you know, if you're looking for a reset, you're probably looking to try to get expiring contracts here and hopefully you can kind of recoup a, a pick and, you know, hopefully also, you know, you, you get some type of young player out of this. So, I mean, the Miami uh, scenario that you described might be the best, you know, deal for them—a Tyler Hero plus a pick and some expiring contracts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, if that's yeah, if that's, I think the big thing is like, who are the teams, right? Like, if he said, if he gives you ten teams, then that maybe changes the dynamics and everything. But if it's certainly Miami and maybe two or three teams, that's the best deal because Hero. Is probably the best player out there that you potentially could acquire. Now the question is: Is there an appetite for the Heat to add that salary when you already have Adebayo and um, you know Jimmy Butler here? I think they're the one team that can do it based on even with these new rules because um, you know their ability to go out and find players to you know build their back end of the roster with here. But yeah, I, I do think Miami, at least right now, probably has would have the best package. How do you evaluate Bradley Beal? 
as a as a player right now in his career? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably similar to where Joe Johnson was back in 2000. You know, we, we traded for Joe back in 2012. Um, um, you know, he's probably the second best player on a good team. I don't think he's a franchise player. I don't think he's a player you build a roster around. Um, but yeah, I think he can be a really good, uh, you know, really good complimentary player, but he's a complimentary player on a guy making, you know, $50 million per year here. So, um, you know, he's not for everyone based on that number, but I do think he can come in and I think he can, you know, I think that he would have loved to have him in the Denver series. <laughs> you know, I think they would have, you know, I think, you know, I don't know if they would have won it, but I think he would have been a difference maker here. The, the, the big thing is, can he stay healthy? You know, that's, that's the big question as far as, his inability to kind of stay healthy the last couple of years. Is there any case you could make for the Wizards if they, you know, the, f- first of all, do, do you agree that the no trade clause was one of the silliest things as part of the Supermax extension? Like they didn't have to to give him that. No, they didn't. And I mean, the other, you know, you ask yourself, well, who are you bidding against? Right. I think if that was a deal breaker, there there was no market really for Bradley Beal unless it was going to be in a sign and trade here and you had the ability to give him basically fifty million dollars more than any on the other team, I think yeah, that's you know, it's I, I think the understanding was certainly when you did it, that if anything, you know, if if there was a point where both sides wanted to move on, that each side would work with it. Similar to probably what you would see in Portland where Damien Lillard doesn't have a no trade clause, but he, he technically does, because based on the equity that that player has built with that organization here. Now it just it just restricts you here because you might not get the best best trade value pack. You know, let's say for example, Sacramento wants to come in and offer two number ones and Kevin Herter and you know salary cap filler and stuff, and that might be the best for the organization moving on. Um, he doesn't want to go to Sacramento, so that's where it basically kind of hurts you here. But yeah, that's he's the only guy. There's a reason why he's the only guy in the NBA that has one, yeah. right? I think there's a you know there's got to be a kind of a little bit of a give and take, but he has one. Now you have to figure out you know kind of what um, you know what direction you go you know from a from an organization. You mentioned Portland. Um, let's just say that he said okay to Portland to play with Damian Lillard. Is there a mm-hmm. deal where you could potentially get number three overall for Beal in the number eight pick? No. Okay. Why? No, I don't see it. I, I I don't see I don't see the, you know the the, the you now if you said to me can you do Anthony Simons and Joseph Nurkic, then you possibly could if that's what they want to do. Um, I don't know what that you know those numbers do for you with three years on both guys. I just don't see Bradley Beal the value of 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 you know Portland flopping five spots to go to three for Beal. I I I mean I could change, but I just don't see that right now. What was the best they could have ever done two years ago, a year and a half ago, a year ago for Beal? That's a good question. I mean, he 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 wasn't on this contract, and he didn't have a no trade clause. You know, I, I think it was, it's dependent on you know where the market was, and there was a lot more teams that had draft picks. That's the problem here is that the window that, that if you wanted to maximize probably closed a year or two ago, um, where. Now you saw, you know, whether it had been, you know, Brooklyn or Phoenix or um, Cleveland or Minnesota, teams like that that are really limited with uh, Atlanta, limited with draft assets. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the new collective bargaining agreement does not help when you're trying to move one of these big numbers. Is there any case you could make if you were the Wizards? I think there's risk in this, and the, the risk is injury. 
that you could potentially get a lot more at the trade deadline next year? Yeah, I mean, you always you always you know say that as far as um, there's always going to be a team desperate with injuries here. Um, you know, the set that will be a little bit more easy to do because more players will be under contract and you can move uh, move move money here. I, I would just say if if the goal is to move Bradley Beal, you have a one year window to do it. Uh, that's how I look at it, just based on the rules that are going to come in place next offseason basically eliminates the Miami Heat from a team going out to acquire Bradley Beal because you're not going to be able to aggregate money to take back a player. So that's that's the timeline here. So, yeah, you could say, you know what, we're going to wait and see here. Um, we're going to see what the options are at the trade deadline. Maybe there's a team that's you know hovering around. Maybe the Knicks are hovering around 500, and they see that he's a difference maker, and they're willing to give you more than what they're willing to do right now. Um, I think from Beal's perspective, it makes, you know, nobody likes to move, um, you know, during the, during the regular season, certainly here, and it has to be certainly the right fit for him. Um, I'm assuming that the answer to this is yes, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because as you've been talking, um, uh, I, I haven't asked you this question, and that is, you do think it's the right thing for them to, to trade Bradley Beal and move on? I do. I do. I think the days of trying to hang around 36 wins and getting in, I, <laughs> yeah. I think, are over in, in, in Washington. I think, I think you would have more of an argument um, with hanging on to him if this was a team that was the fourth seed or the fifth seed. And Michael Winger came in and said, you know what, we're going to take a major step back. And like, wait a minute, you're trading our best player. That's not the case here. I mean, this is a team that's been fighting just to get into the play-in spot. Um, when you bring in a new front office, there's some type of reset here. And it's, it's a lot different than what happened in Utah. Utah went from you know, basically the number one seed to what the number four seed, and then they basically had a reset, but still kind of hung around the middle here and picked up a boatload of draft picks. I think for the Wizards, it's, it's probably going to take a major step back. And I think people, as long as you know there's a plan at the end, and there's, you know, then that, and a lot of it will be dependent on what happens, you know, certainly with Porzingis and Kuzma. That, I think this is the right thing for the organization here is, you know, to take a step back. So if Porzingis and Kuzma both, you know, opt out, which I think will happen, um, should well, they... I don't know about one. I, I, Porzingis is interesting. You know, if you're, if you're going to opt out of $36 million, two things have to happen. Either you've got a side deal with the Wizards on an extension um, or you have a home. And I don't know if there's a team out there that's willing to give him $36 million on the open market right now, uh, unless it's a, it's a lower number at, with more years attached right. to it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, by the way. So, somebody had mentioned to me on, on the radio show that they, they were convinced that he um, would opt out. And to me, the only way he opts out, if it's, you know, two years for 60 or something like that, um, right. where he's got more guaranteed money. But with respect to Porzingis, he's the one, Bobby, for me, that has the massive ceiling. You know, that if you, you if the goal is to contend and you've got to have an elite player to contend, there's still a chance, agree or disagree, that he could become an elite player. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I definitely agree here. I think if you're asking me between him and Port, him and Kuzma, who would I pick? I would pick Porzingis. Um, I think Kuzma's numbers are a little bit inflated based on, you know, based on his role here. I think he'll certainly make more money than his thirteen million dollars, um, you know, player option that he he will likely decline here. But I do think, 
I do think, you know, although a little more expensive, that he does have the most upside, and if you were going to hang on to one of these players, it would probably be him. Uh, two more for Bobby Marks. What do you think of Wes Unseld as a head coach? Wes Unseld Jr.? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's hard because are we judging him based on what the Wizards have done in the draft and the inability for some of these guys to take a big leap from a developmental standpoint, that's you know certainly a fair um, you know, a fair question here. I think certainly um, you know the roster. I think when you when you're consistently shuffling the roster, uh, Ted Leonsa said it perfectly. Like it, we've we've constantly been in a transaction game, and you're trading Spencer Dinwiddie and Porzingis comes in and Beal's been hurt. So I mean, I'd love to see him with Bradley Beal for 65 games. I'd love for him where you know where this um, you know where this roster. Um, you know, could be here. So I don't know if I'm ready to kind of, and I think he'll have a, you know, certainly a year, you know, Michael Winger in that front office will have a year evaluation to figure out if, if, um, if Wes is the right guy moving forward here. So I'm not ready to kind of give him a grade yet because there's so much been, you know, there's so much been flux there. All right, last one, because um, I've talked a lot about the NBA playoffs on my radio show and on the podcast. I loved him. I thought it was one of the best two months of NBA postseason basketball we've seen in a long time. And I loved watching Denver and I, I just, I, I enjoyed them a lot. I think I had you on radio a few weeks ago when we were talking about this. What happened to Jimmy Butler over the final six or seven games, going back to kind of game six against Boston, where he looked super reluctant um, and super passive as a scorer. What happened? Does anybody know? I just thought he was running on E. You know, I thought I thought he looked extremely tired. Certainly, when in, in the Denver series, when you have a bigger body like Aaron Gordon defending him, um, that takes its toll on you. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You know, was it the injury in the um, in the New York series? Did that hobble him? I don't know. Um, he's not going to use it as an excuse. I just thought it was a player that looked extremely, extremely tired uh, on the court. I looked extremely tired in his, in his interviews um, when, he, when he got done and everything like that. So for me, that's kind of how I uh, looked at it. And I looked at it as a Denver defense that was really, really good. Yeah, uh, it was. By the way, I lied. I forgot. Um, what, did you, what was your reaction to the John Morant 25-game suspension? Not surprised. I mean, I saw people saying 50 games or suspend them for life, which was – Twitter and it's you know Twitter in itself right <laughs> yeah. there. Um, I'm not surprised at all. 25 games. Um, you know he's yeah, he, eventually he's going to run out of chances if he doesn't change. You know certainly. And um, the, I thought which was the most interesting out of that was, hey, you're not allowed to come to the building. You're not allowed to use the facility. You're not allowed to be out here at training camp. Um, you're basically kind of on your own. We'll see you in mid-November or late December or mid or December here. That's going to be interesting here when you don't have that, you know, it's not like a player suspended and all you have to do is be out of the arena in, in, you know, within, um, within two hours here. That's, that's probably the biggest thing I took from that, um, that press release. Thanks for making time for me, uh, as always. Much appreciated. At BobbyMarks42 on Twitter, he does a great job covering the league. Uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, Bobby. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Concise to the point and write a lot. Uh, Bobby Marks, everybody, enjoyed that. Uh, We'll finish up with a few odds and ends, including uh, going back to the conversation we had yesterday about draft day steals for the Washington 
football franchise. Uh, We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I got guys like Bruce Brown. Come here, Bruce. Bruce. Hey, y'all tell me, is Brucey B going anywhere? Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hey, we run this shit back. We run this shit back. Hell yeah. Come on. Get loud. Get loud. That was Mike Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets at the Nuggets Downtown Denver Parade yesterday. He was inebriated. Inebriated. Had a big chain around his neck. Uh, all of the players were pretty much overserved. Uh, but Mike Malone was the entertainment. I mean, the head coach was by far and away, it would appear, based on the speaker's the most bombed. I wonder if he, in hindsight, has some regrets about that. He's the head coach, you know. He is kind of the authority there. There's a certain level of decorum, isn't there, required by the head coach, even in that kind of a situation. Um, It was funny, uh, that's for sure. 47 years that city waited. They got the title, and they celebrated in style. It certainly reminds me of 2018, the Caps, and Alex Ovechkin and all those players taking that Stanley Cup on like a two- to three-, four-month journey of, uh, you know, of celebrating. 
um, hysterical yesterday. Uh, so uh, I wanted to read a quick review that we got and remind everybody that you can rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify, and it's super helpful when you do it. Following us is really helpful as well. Hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts, upper right-hand corner. Same thing on Spotify. It's on the left-hand side of the screen. Uh, This review from from MTK72, top-notch guests, including Tommy, Cooley, Smoot, Portis, Doc, Al Galdi, and Ben Standig, my go-to source for everything Washington football. Thanks for always keeping this out-of-town fan in the loop. Need more cookies and crumb cake talk, LOL. Um, Thank you, MTK72. Uh, It's easy to rate us and review us, especially on Apple um, in particular. Uh, If you can do it, it's a big help. So yesterday, Tommy and I um, were talking about the biggest draft day steals in Washington football franchise history. Uh, It came off of a conversation actually about Nikola Jokic, and somebody had tweeted um, me comparing Jokic and Brady as the all-time draft day steals in the NBA and NFL. And in fact, if you you know Google any list of the all-time NFL draft day steals, Tom Brady's easily number one. You know he's the greatest of all time, and he was selected in the sixth round. And Jokic is pretty much universally number one on the NBA list of all time draft day steals. He was selected forty first overall in the second round. So we use that as a jumping off point into a conversation about the biggest draft day steals in Washington Redskins uh, history. And Tommy immediately got Chris Hamburger. Uh, yeah, eighteenth round Hall of Fame. That's probably number one, even though the list that we had pulled up had Russ Grimm number one and had Hamburger number uh, four, actually, um, behind Larry Brown, who was an eighth-round selection in 1969. Uh, but anyway, um, we, we debated and we, we threw a bunch of players out there. The first two players that came to my mind were Dexter Manley and Monty Coleman. But, man, we missed a lot in our conversation, and you guys really helped us out. And I want to go through some of the players that I'm pretty sure we did not mention that many of you tweeted in with, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. Big Mike sent in Len Haas, ninth round, Jerry Smith, greatest tight end in franchise history, ninth round, Don Warren, fourth round, Terry McLaurin, third round. He wrote Rich Milt. I think he re- he meant Rich Malott, seventh round, 1979. There were others that some um, sent in that I actually was somewhat uh, embarrassed that I didn't mention yesterday. We did mention Rippon in the sixth round, and I did mention Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. Um, both of those would be on you know a top 10 to top 15 list of draft day steals. Top 10 probably. I mean, Rippon was a Super Bowl MVP. And you know, sometimes Rippon gets this rap of like, you know, being a one-year wonder. That's not true at all. You know, Rippon was drafted in 1986 in the sixth round and sat for two years. But Rippon had some really productive starting years here. 1989, you know, they went 10-6 and and missed the playoffs. Um, Rippon was the starting quarterback on and off with Stan Humphreys in 1990, but was the starting quarterback when they got to the postseason and they won a game. By the way, Rippon was a pro bowler in 1989. Um, And then uh, 1991, obviously, was the year for Rip. 
Um, but 92, you know, rough year, uh, you know, uh, up and down year, but eventually they got to the postseason, won a game and nearly won two. Um, Rippon was, you know, a, a part-time or full-time starter for, you know, six years here. You know, 93, he got injured early during that Richie Pettibone um, season. But Rip was not just this one-year quarterback. Uh, he had big, you know, he had some big playoff games in Philadelphia in 92 when they um, beat the Eagles. Uh, I'm sorry, 1990 when they beat the Eagles in Minnesota in 1992 when they beat the Vikings. Um, so Rippon as a playoff quarterback starter um, was five and two. I mean, he quarterbacked seven playoff games for Washington. You know, so you had the you know you had the three in '91, but he quarterbacked another four playoff games for this franchise and was five and two um, in those playoff games as a starter. The the numbers weren't necessarily great in all of the games. But Rippon was more uh, than just a one-year wonder. Um, but there were a couple of names here that um, that I should have gotten. Tommy should have gotten to. Uh, Gus Farratt, seventh round, 1994. They drafted Heath Shuler, remember, in the first round. Gus Farratt had a pretty long career um, and some good years in Washington. Mike Thomas, I can't believe I didn't mention Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas was a fifth rounder for George Allen back in 1975 and was the NFL Rookie of the Year on offense in 1975. And you got to understand that George Allen didn't really have any draft choices. I mean, Allen got here in 71. They had a second-round pick. And then listen to this. In 72, their first pick was in the eighth round. In 73, their first pick was in the fifth round. In 74, their first pick was in the sixth round. In 75, when they selected Mike Thomas, their first pick was in the fifth round. In 76, their first pick was in the fifth round. In 77, their first pick was in the fourth round. Now, George Allen's gone, by the way, in 78. um, But still, the remnants of George Allen's trading, uh, the first pick in 78 was in the sixth round. I mean, Washington in 79, it was in the fourth round. Washington basically for an entire decade was a non-participant in the NFL draft. George Allen just traded away all of their picks. And then in 1980, finally, they had a first round pick. It was their first first round pick since 1968. They went 12 years without a first-round pick. And that first-round pick in 1980, Arthur Monk. Um, and uh, and the rest was history there. Uh, then the 81 draft, they had all their picks, uh, most of them anyway, and that was the draft uh, in this franchise's history, the 81 draft that produced Mark May, Russ Grimm, Dexter Manley, Charlie Brown, Daryl Grant, and Clint Didier. Uh, someone uh, tweeted me and said, um, he thinks the 79 draft was better based on percentage of hits. 79 draft, they only had five picks. Don Warren, Rich Mallott, and Monty Coleman were all drafted. So three out of the five players, so 60%. That's a great hit rate. Um, but the 81 draft uh, produced six major contributors to Super Bowl wins. Um Anyway, so Mike Thomas, I should have gotten. Frank Grant, somebody wrote in, uh, 13th round, 1972, sure. Uh, Daryl Grant, 9th round, 81. Charles Mann, Charles Mann we mentioned yesterday. Kurt Gouveia, good one, 8th round, 1986. Ed Simmons, 6th round, 1987. Uh, Timmy Smith, uh, Timmy Smith had, you know, a postseason 
in Washington. Uh, Timmy Smith was, you know, a, a fourth round, um, I'm sorry, a fifth round selection um, in the uh, 87 draft. But Timmy Smith's career was, you know, basically a Super Bowl. Well, that postseason, he actually played well in those postseason games um, leading up to the Super Bowl as well. Still, Timmy Smith holds this single season rushing mark for a Super Bowl game. Uh, when in Super Bowl 22 against the Denver Broncos, he rushed for 204 yards on just 22 carries. Uh, but those were some really um, good names that you guys tweeted in with. I'm looking through to see if I missed any. I don't think I did. Uh, but, yeah, we should have gotten some of those. Um, all right. Uh no U.S. Open talk on the show today. I mean, I'm watching it here as I'm recording the podcast, um, and the course is not being, as of now, torched like it was yesterday by Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley and others, uh, but 262s uh, in the history of major championship golf. Just 162 had ever been shot, and that was by Brandon Grace a few years ago at the British Open. Uh, 262s yesterday. Uh, nothing had ever beaten 63 at the U.S. Open. Um, but I'm rooting for Ricky Fowler this week, and I'd love to see him remain in contention. He's had such uh, a tough few years um, on the tour. I mean, last year he was sitting on the putting green hoping to be selected as an alternate for the U.S. Open. Uh, and here he is a year later. He's played better recently and had a better year. Would love to see Sunday come and Ricky Fowler uh, be in the mix for his first major. All right, uh, that's it for the day. Uh, again, as uh, Tommy and I wished you yesterday, I'll do it again today. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I'll be back on Monday.